0: Talks, a chat with Finance Malta, is the podcast series that gives you short, thoughtful, and regular insights from leading experts of the financial services industry. I'm Vanessa McDonald. Welcome. Good morning. We're here with Kirsten Deborah Huskinson to talk about the Mobility Directive. Now, this came into force in, uh, at the end of January of 2023. But perhaps we can take a step back, Kirsten. What was the situation before we adopted the Mobility Directive? I mean, isn't this one of the freedom of movements that we got by, by joining the EU?
1: Yes, that's right. So um, going into the history of it is, is quite pertinent because... Um, as, you well, as you have well mentioned, um, the freedom of establishment is a fundamental principle of EU law. Um, however, through experience over the years, it has become evident that there was a lacuna um, you know, around the mobility of companies between uh, member states, due to the fact that the mobility of companies simply wasn't regulated. Um, there was uh, the possibility to undertake cross-border mergers, um, and that dates back to two
0: thousand and seven. So, underneath the Companies Act, no, or not? so
1: it was an EU regulation which gave um, that possibility. So, it was also a harmonised process, and we also implemented it in local legislation through subsidiary legislation. Uh, but that was something which was specifically regulated through these regulations. Okay. Um, so, we did have experience with that, but any other kind of um, mobility which could take place, whether through redomiciliation, divisions, and such, was not regulated. Um, uh, this obviously gave rise to a number of challenges. You could see different EU member states implementing this kind of mobility in different ways, um, affording different layers of protection to stakeholders um uh, and so it gave rise to a number of challenges the mobility of companies was something which was recognized and enforced by the ECJ um but of course not all businesses not all companies have sort of that accessibility have you know the the will to kind of go through a lengthy process of um, doing something which may or may not sort of um, uh, ultimately be successful, and so, you know, this need to address this um, gap um, and legal uncertainty was recognised by the EU and addressed through the introduction um, of the Mobility Directive in 2019. Um, this directive now, um, uh, other than also regulating cross-border mergers, um in quite a similar fashion to the one before so it's a good thing of course that we didn't reinvent the wheel there because we were already used to that um now also regulates cross border conversions and cross border divisions um so yes I, I i would say that it is this sort of gap in the in eu in eu law and this gap in sort of um addressing this particular process which gave rise to the need to, to implement this kind of legislation.
0: You mentioned the interests of the stakeholders. Does the new directive actually give more uh, voice to the concerns of, of the stakeholders? And, and obviously, I presume that you mean stakeholders in the broader sense, not only shareholders but also directors, employees, etc.
1: Absolutely, so the main stakeholders which are identified um, through this directive and the implementing legislation are minority shareholders, um, which of course can sort of be dragged by the will of the majority um, shareholder body, um, creditors of the company and employees of the company. Um, There was a scenario where different EU member states afford different layers of protection and so now the level of protection has indeed been increased in certain ways and now harmonized across the European Union which is, which is obviously a welcome development um, and there is an increased um, uh, level yes of protection which is afforded particularly in the level of disclosure which needs to be made to uh, particularly minority shareholders creditors and employees Um, the access to the information that they need to be given in order to understand um, what is going to be done, why it is being done and what their position is going to be and how they will be affected by the cross-border operation. Um, And obviously the extent of the impact could be different depending on the nature of the group, how, how many employees they have and the kind of assets that they have. Um, but yes, there is this enhancement of, of these rights, the enhancements of the information, of information and disclosure rights, um, and it is now a harmonised level of, of, of protection.
0: The uh, uh, multi Business Registry actually sort of wrote about this new directive, and I, I quote from their website here, they're saying that this legal framework um, was largely dependent on fragmented national member states legislation, but that now it could re- result in an increased level of cross-border movement and a reduction in costs. It mm-hmm. sounds like it's even more onerous. So why are we talking about costs being reduced?
1: Well, um, I think that having a harmonised process means that you bypass the requirement of having to engage a lot of different advisors and a lot of different jurisdictions having to get advice you know, in the different jurisdictions of starting from can I even do this because you know there were a number of jurisdictions which didn't even which not even allow cross-border conversions or you know so I mean, water was always a jurisdiction which did allow it to some to a limited extent it has now been somewhat broadened um, but there was always the question mark okay but does the foreign jurisdiction allow it and you have to kind of start by getting that advice. Now that's obviously been bypassed through this harmonised um, process, um, of course through the introduction of this directive which is um, which has been transposed and but is still in the process of being transposed by a number of EU jurisdictions as well. Um, uh, so, yeah, that obviously facilitates the process quite a bit for companies because it gives them legal certainty, they know what they're dealing Precisely. with. Precisely, the certainty is they're obviously dealing, very important. Absolutely, yes. you know, they're not dealing with two different legal regimes, so they have to comply with the mortar regime and Dutch regime. And, you know, it's one regime that applies across the board um, and it gives them certainty and they know what they need to deal with and the level of the threshold of regulation that they need to adhere to.
0: So you said that Malta, we were saying earlier, that Malta already had some kind of legislation about it. When we transpose this legislation, was it copy and paste for all jurisdictions or was there a little bit of leeway? I mean, did we spin right. out anything which is uh, maybe not present in other jurisdictions? Right.
1: Yes. Um, uh, the Maltese legislator did in fact take some... Um, uh, enhance sort of the implement the transposition, it did not limit itself purely to what was in the directive. So um, we had a scenario that where cross-border mergers, as you mentioned, they were previously regulated and now they have the previous legislation has been repealed and we have new legislation um, which is quite similar to what we had before, adapted somewhat to streamline the process with the other type of cross-border operations. Um, we did also previously have um, a framework, a legislative framework for conversions, also known as redomiciliations in the in, in the industry, um, and the only the main change over there is that now if we're going to be doing a, a redomiciliation between EU member states, which have transposed the directive. We're probably going to be looking at um, going for the cross-border conversion regulations as opposed to the prior. Um, applicable continuation of companies' regulations, which interestingly also remain in force. Um, and now there is a new framework for cross-border divisions, which is entirely new. Um, one rather innovative thing that the Maltese legislature did um, outside of the, you know, the, the pure transposition process is that we are now allowing cross-border operations to take place, not only between countries within the European Union and the European Economic Area, but also with non-EU and non-EEA countries. interesting, okay. Um, Yes, it's a very uh, welcome development. Um, There was previously no legislative framework, and the advice has always been it is not possible to undertake cross-border mergers or divisions um, with non-EU member states, so it will now be very interesting to to see this um, potentially happening in practice. what would be required over there as an added sort of um, requirement is that um, the Malta Business Registry would be looking to see a legal opinion issued by the foreign by a foreign advisor from the foreign jurisdiction confirming that the cross border operation, uh, whichever one it is, is able to be implemented within the framework of the legislation of the third country. Um, but this is quite a welcome development. You know, it should be something which sort of sets us apart from other EU member states, and will further facilitate, you know, international uh, corporate business. How interesting. Okay,
0: um, the only from figures I found were that there were twenty-eight cross-border companies registered in Malta by the end of two thousand twenty-two. In my innocence, it doesn't sound like an awful lot, is it? And is it something that you think can actually grow?
1: Yes, so I have to say um, it's a surprising figure. Um, I would say that in the course um, of my career over the past, um, mainly ten years, I would say that I've seen quite a few cross-border mergers take place Um, and there has been kind of the will for these two to to, to take place and there hasn't been sort of any reluctance or at least I haven't seen much reluctance in in this taking place of course there is a time frame associated with it and so it could be the case that rather for opting for, for that particular type of operation companies might opt for something which is more cost efficient such as simply setting up a new company in the foreign jurisdiction However, um, with this new framework and also with you know the level of harmonisation that is now going to be achieved and the extended types of cross-border operations that can take place, I do hope and expect that there will be an increase in the take-up, especially once you know everyone becomes more familiar with the process. Of course, Tom,
0: if you are intending to do it. It's almost worth your while to wait until it's all been transposed, rather than trying to do it.
1: Yes. um, If you know
0: something better is going to come along in the future.
1: Absolutely. And um, once it's fully transposed by all the EU member states, because there are quite a few who are still yet to transpose it, even though the deadline was the end of January of this year. I expect that, you know, as, as businesses and companies start, and, and advisors are getting more used to it, it's something which could become a very effective tool for businesses.
0: You wrote an article uh, about the uh, Mobility Directive and basically, you know, its impact and so on. This was back in February, so not so long ago. And at the time you were saying, you know, Let's wait and see how it actually works in practice. Uh, another four months have gone by since then. And, and how do you see it? Is it going to work out?
1: Um, I have to say, there hasn't, I, we haven't really seen that take up yet. It is still early days, even though a few months have passed. And I think that is predominantly impacted by the fact that a lot of EU member states haven't transposed it yet. Um and and that obviously um makes it you know it's 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 we have transposed it fully, um but obviously if somebody wants to come here or somebody wants to go there the first question is 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 that already the legislative framework and we're finding uh, that in some instances especially the countries that we or we tend to do business with haven't transposed it yet and therefore obviously it kind of pushes things a bit down the line or companies tend to wait, etc. So I feel like it is still a bit early days. Um registrars around the EU member states are them still are themselves still becoming more familiar with the with the legislation, how it's going to be implemented and how it is going to live with existing legislation which is already in place, you know, across the different jurisdictions. Um but yes, I do I do expect um that, you know, um couple of years down the line that will have increased take-up and use of this particular tool for businesses.
0: Kirsten, thank you very much for explaining it to us. You're welcome. That's all for today. Subscribe now to the FinTalks and follow Finance Malta on all social media platforms to stay updated with all our activities. Till the next podcast.